Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. So, we're in week what of the pandemic now? <laughs> you you sound like you've been smoking. Have you taken up smoking at week uh, <laughs> 32 <laughs> of the pandemic? <laughs> <coughs> I actually, for some reason, have something lodged in my throat as you say that. And maybe not for just some reason. I am, of course, located in Los Angeles on the unceded territory of the Tongva people. And I am on the West Coast during one of the the most intensified uh, moments of fire crises that we've seen in, I think they're saying the last, well, ever. Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) And so what does that look like for me? You'll be happy to know that there are no fires nearby me right now. But what there is, is all the ash clouds from the fires. So if you listened to the show last week, you would have heard me complain that it was 42 degrees out. Well, it's now like between 13 and 19, because the ash clouds you see are so thick that the temperature has dropped significantly. I can look directly at the sun if I step outside. And it feels like it feels like I'm wearing sunglasses. Like the entire world oh is just sepia. It's just sepia. It just feel. It really feels like I'm wearing sunglasses. And the other thing that's really bizarre for someone from the east, uh, although I've, I've heard that people in the west are like more used to this kind of thing, is that it's it's snowing ash. So there's like just ash everywhere. And when you walk outside. Which they're saying you shouldn't do. They're like, everybody's like, just go inside, stay inside, windows closed, doors closed. I like went to get some coffee on the weekend because uh, I had run out. And so I was outside for as long as it takes to get into a car, park, get out of a car, go into a place, um, go back home, get into, you know, whatever. And it, uh, my by the end of that trip, my eyes were fully irritated. My throat was super irritated. And the entire world just smells like a camp. Like it's really, yeah, you know, just uh, apocalyptic out here. Right. Uh, everything's totally, totally going 2020. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> well, uh, we, we don't have forest fires, so that's pretty sweet. But um, we have had this massive outbreak that was tied to a karaoke bar that I've talked about before. For everyone waiting with bated breath, I did not test positive for COVID. So that's cool. That's good but news. But did you go to karaoke? Because uh-huh. I, I can't because... You're the, pretty good at that. Oh, I mean, that that maybe. If we ever hit a level of financing that allows people to hire you and I for like parties, we probably <laughs> could do a couple of tunes. We probably could. We sing... We sing some good duets together. It's true. <laughs> uh, no, um, the, after uh, the the outbreak here has caused 80 cases. <laughs> 80. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's Jeez. it's like it's a bar, like a local bar. Uh, Le Devoir had this really wonderful feature on the folks who go to karaoke all the time at this bar. And, you know, they, they're pretty low income. Uh, the article starts off with, like, describing the, f- the first singer of the night who's an 81-year-old guy who just loves singing with this group of people and they all do it together all the time. 
And um, and unfortunately, that's that's actually really sweet. Yeah, it is. And and, and they, unfortunately, they all thought that it was safe. Like there was a, a plastic gl- a screen between uh, the singer and the crowd and they they wiped down the mic after everyone sang. So they, they had this illusion that they were safe. And of course, um, you know, there is a speculation in this story that maybe one person has been has died as a result of secondary contact with someone. It's not been confirmed. So, you know, officially there is no death count related to this, but it has um, it has launched us into the stratosphere in terms of cases um, and combined with like a, a younger person bar, more of a hipster bar um, in a different part of the downtown. So not that far away, only like three kilometers or something. Um, there's an outbreak there that has had 15 people de- um, that have gotten COVID. And so the combination has meant that the schools just are, they all have COVID almost. There's some schools that don't. I mean, in my part of town, they they don't. They haven't hit us yet. But we are like, I mean, I live like, I don't know, 200 meters, 300 meters from this bar, the karaoke bar. So, I mean, uh, I'm separated from a, a cliff, which apparently is a bit of viral protection. I'm not exactly sure what's going on there. But it's not good. And um, we've got two uh, schools that have had outbreaks. And so that is what everybody's watching. And I'm kind of thinking that by the time we record next week, either I will have gotten COVID or the kids will be home. <laughs> so. Oh, my God. That's it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. But at least we had three weeks. I mean, the school has been really good for them. So I am actually really pleased that they are there. I just wish that our government would have... I don't know, close the bars or made karaoke illegal before the outbreak and rather <laughs> rather than at the moment that 75 people had gotten COVID from it. Well, speaking of governments really failing to protect people, gosh, this whole fires situation really has me thinking about climate change in a big way. Um, so maybe that's what we should talk about today. But before we get there, I am sure we have some people to thank. We do have some people to thank. So thank you so, so, so much again to everybody who became a donor for the first time or changed their donation. Um, If you changed it down, don't feel weird about that. I know sometimes people send me messages to say that things have changed in their lives. Like we get it and we totally love all the support, uh, financial, moral, sharing the podcast. So thank you for all of that. And specifically this week, thank you to Jose, Jennifer, Aaron, Ezra, Rowan, Christina, Jillian, Natalie, Alex, Kyle, Charles, Flint Steele, and Jane. Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Okay, so what have you been seeing on the news with respect to these fires? I I mean, I'm explaining to you that my world looks sepia, but for those of you who've seen the photos coming out of uh, San Francisco, my God, it's like orange up there like that is what people are seeing all the time just as they open their 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 doors you know like that they you know look out their window it's just the whole world is orange it's like highly disorienting for the world to be sepia like I (laughs) you might think well you could still you know the sun is still coming through it's 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 not it's very weird it just feels like it's always like I don't know, 5 p.m. Like it's just constantly 5 5 p.m., but also almost orange. It's very weird, but I can't imagine what it must be like 
uh, looking out the window in San Francisco right now. And I think that folks in Vancouver are also experiencing a sepia-like existence right now. But you said earlier that the temperature has dropped. So is it not the case that this is potentially our solution out of climate change? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's 2020. Anything is possible, maybe? No, this is not the solution. (laughs) Certainly, (laughs) um, like a a giant cloud of ash uh, destroying our lungs during a pandemic seems to not be the solution (laughs) to to climate change to me. Um, but it it does really, really make me fucking angry at at politicians who refuse to take the sort of emergency, urgent action on this issue that needs to be taken. Three million acres are burning in the West. And we're being told that this kind of thing is going to become more and more normal as the earth continues to warm. And, you know, tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people have been displaced. Like we are, are witnessing um, a crisis on the scale where we could have internal, um, you know, uh, refugee camps essentially needing to be set up to deal with this. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Because people are being displaced on this massive, massive scale and our governments are doing what exactly? Yeah, before the, the episode started, um, Sandy and I were trying to come up with a topic that would be funny to discuss because it just feels like we need to laugh. And so, I mean, I'll probably laugh through this episode um, as a weird defense mechanism to like not allow myself to feel the despair that I definitely feel. Um, But when I saw the pictures first come out um, from the West Coast of this incredible red sky, I had this flashback to grade four or grade five, where we were shown a video and it was supposed to be sometime in the future. And fuck, it may have been 2020. And uh, there was a woman whose, like, alarm clock went off and she was getting out of bed. And in bed, she was wearing a big gas mask and all of the skies were red. And we were watching this movie. And oh, my it was... God. I think I think we saw that, too. Really? <laughs> like, I'm remembering this as, oh, yeah, we definitely watched something where, like, and then a kid gets, like, into this giant kind of space suit to go outside. Yeah. Is that? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. We definitely. It must have been part of the program for, <laughs> for Ontario students. <laughs> Continue. Well, and what fucking good did that do? Um, Other than, I mean, so we knew in the mid 90s that this is potentially our future. Um, Of course, the the radio, I believe, was saying something like another scorcher out there, you know, probably some unrealistic amount of degrees out there. But it's really enraging to know that 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 we we we've known about climate change for decades and decades like there's no question that human behavior has led to this and yet the kinds of conversations that we're having at the federal level are just so pathetic like they're so in uh, sufficient and you know I was at a talk last November in Edmonton that was put on by the Parkland Institute and there was a climate justice organizer from the United States whose whose big thing was like we need to think about organizing against climate change that the way that we thought about organizing for World War II 
And it's like, it's an interesting kind of thought experiment. Like you pour all this money into this massive struggle and it's all to save humanity. But of course, the difference being like people made money off of fighting the Nazis. They're not going to necessarily make the same kind of money fighting climate change. So the analogy doesn't exactly work. But COVID definitely showed us that some things were possible that had never been possible before. And still... Still, there is fuck all happening uh, from the decision making uh, structures within our country. I mean, if anything, things are being actively forced to be worse. And I'm thinking of the actions of Jason Kenney. Certainly, Doug Ford has been fucking garbage for the environment. And then I saw a tweet today from Catherine McKenna, who was like, until recently, the um, minister of climate change or whatever, minister for climate change. And she was like, oh, we can work together and fight climate change in response to, I think it was the wildfires. And that's the kind of thing that just makes me want to fucking plunge myself into like a bottomless pit. Uh, seeing politicians, seeing people like Gerald Butts, who was like the most important advisor to the prime minister, being like, we will fight climate change. And it's like, we have not yet fought climate change. And you people are literally in power. Oh, actually, no, Obama tweeting about uh, how they need to fight climate change maybe was even more uh, frustrating. (laughs) You know, this is one of the, the issues that really frustrates me about the Liberal Party of Canada, because it just, you know, they present themselves as being at the fore of these issues. In 2015, during the the election, um, they made all sorts of promises about how they were going to phase out subsidies for the fossil fuel industry, about how they were going to to work with the U.S. and Mexico to uh, to create a clean energy and environment agreement. It's just like. All of this bullshit, these platitudes that like really mean nothing at the end of the day, we need you to stop fighting for um, the the uh, ability for these large corporations to um, to build these pipelines and continue to use fossil fuels um, and to continue to destroy our planet and actually take urgent action. It's like. As you say, Nora, the the COVID, uh, the the pandemic showed us how the government is 100% able to take urgent action when their hands are forced. And the thing is, like, this is one of the biggest fucking crises facing the world fucking ever. And it's urgent. I mean... I don't know why it feels like it's not obvious that it's urgent and maybe that's the media's fault. Like, I don't know, but it it should be obvious. Like the sky is orange, red in fucking um, in in uh, in San Francisco. Whole islands are uh, in danger of of uh, being submerged underwater as sea levels rise. We are completely losing parts of the arctic ice shelf uh coral reefs are dying on mass it's just like hey like look around <laughs> a lot of what we rely on to keep our ecosystem uh working in the way this ways that it does to sustain our lives to sustain our ability to eat to sustain our ability to be out in the world is falling apart how could you still be making promises like oh yeah we're gonna 
We're going to come up with a plan. Like we, we should be like 75% through a plan. We should be <laughs> fully, fully operationalizing a plan, but no one's doing that. And I just, it's just, God, wake me up from this horrible nightmare, Nora. <laughs> What's going on? What is going on? It feels so bizarre. And really desolate and scary. And horrible. I mean, (laughs) the liberals ended government because they didn't want to deal with the we charity stuff. (laughs) Like that's where their head is at. And they'll be coming back in a couple of weeks and they will have a speech from the throne. We've talked about what the possible left wing thing will be that they promise at that speech to the throne. Uh, uh, the guess has been childcare, um, but uh, no question that it's going to be left wing. And this week uh, or this weekend, um, it was uh, it was reported that the liberals are seriously considering a really big public spending initiative. And I don't know if you saw this, Sandy. Mm, mm. Tell me more. So it's not climate change related, which right now I feel like they really should be doing literally anything on climate change. No, they're they're apparently interested in creating some sort of universal basic income. Oh, no. I, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody listens to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and I feel like it's actually a really useful thing to kind of think through, like what is happening where Vancouver has the world's worst air quality right now. It's tied with Portland. And there are not fire fires in Vancouver. Like these are, this is all smoke that's coming from the south and moving north. I mean, when there's a fire somewhere, obviously you're going to see the impacts of it elsewhere. And the liberals just cannot do the right thing. Like they just cannot put forward radical climate change related policy because they are so tied to money and tied to the to industry. And so, I mean, for me, it's a really big red flag that their pivot is to universal basic income Mm -hmm. or might be. I mean, these are these are speculatory. Uh, It's like so you're going to spend Billions and billions of dollars on a social program that will be rendered ineffective with a ton of other price increases that you do not control, like rent, like transportation, like food, like, you know, uh, uh, wages don't go up uh, across the board or sometimes, you know, wages don't go up at all. And meanwhile, like, what are you doing about pipelines? What are you doing about massive injections into scientific research to make alternative fuel forms viable? What are you doing to push your infrastructure promises to actually get public transit built? I mean, Quebec City is one of the one of city, you know, many cities in Canada that has had, thanks to the infrastructure bank of Justin Trudeau, promised money for a transit system because we don't really have a, a good transit system. I mean, we also have the highest per capita car ownership in, in Canada. I mean, it's not great. And um and our government, the CAC, is refusing to uh, go ahead with this. They insist that there needs to be more consultation, more consultation. So the money was promised two or three or four even now years ago, and there's not even been a shovel put into the ground. Like, the federal government needs to accelerate this stuff, and they need to be very clear about what their abilities 
can be to impact and to influence climate policy. And instead, we get measures that look like they're really just intended to save the liberals' brand. And I say that because we know that the liberals cannot implement a universal basic income in a way that will actually help poor people. Like, it is literally not possible for them to do that. And so I'm pretty, I'm pretty feeling, like, ho- hopeless and sad, for sure. And, um... And down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's useful to uh, go back to what the liberal promises were in the last election to, to take a look at where they said they'd be on climate change and then to, to take a look at what's happening now. What do you think, Nora? Do you remember what their big climate change uh, uh, promises were in the last election? I believe that they were going to ban straws. Was that one of them? (laughs) I think that was the NDP. (laughs) I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think I do think that they had a straw campaign, a straw man campaign. But I mean, this is okay. So I'm going to read directly from their campaign website. Oh, great. Um, They this is. This is their real action to address the climate crisis. And let's not forget that, you know, we don't actually just have to look at the U.S. and terrible fires in the the U.S. to see the effects of climate change, right? Like, there were terrible fires raging across Alberta as well. The West in Canada also gets really terrible fires, not to mention all the other types of environmental degradation, what's happening in the North with with respect to uh, the ice sheets melting, um, the the rise in 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 sea level, all sorts of things, all sorts of terrible things, and this is what the liberals promised last year. A re-elected liberal, okay. Well, first they said we have over the past four years taken significant action to protect our environment and climate change by putting a price on pollution. Oh, banning single-use plastics, mm, straws. <laughs> And protecting great swaths of our land and oceans. A re-elected liberal government will build on this progress and continue to take ambitious action to fight climate change by committing Canada to net zero by 2050. Ooh, so far away. Planting two billion trees. I want to know how many trees they've planted. And making our country the best place in the world to build a clean tech company. Oh, fuck off. That, I mean, that, that is the level of addressing our, uh, the greatest emergency to face uh, humankind uh, on such a grand scale. Now, Sandy, I know you've been out of Canada for a long time. And so maybe you're not sure about like how those promises have gone, but like, I don't know about that whole single-use plastic thing. Like, I opened a cucumber today and definitely had to knife off some single-use plastic. Oh, well, I'm sure you could use that plastic to recover the fucking cucumber. You know what? I actually fucking tried to. (laughs) (laughs) That was a joke. (laughs) Yeah, but I foolishly, like, sawed into the middle of it so, like, I couldn't cover the ends with plastic. And then I had this other end with... Anyway, it's really hard to put that... To put the... Like, 
that saying the cat, like try to get the cat into the bag or whatever, that should be replaced by try to get the cucumber back in its single use plastic uh, shield. That's um, incredibly important. Thank you for telling us all that. My point, <laughs> uh, they, 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 they didn't ban it. I mean, I can't even believe that they were able to say that they banned single-use plastic. Like, what a fucking ridiculous thing to have said that they did. Like, single-use plastic is everywhere. I know. I know. I'm, I remain perplexed as to why they continue to get elected uh, when they're um, such obvious liars. But, like, this is this is... This is where we're at in Canada. This is <laughs> this is the last, uh, you know, fucking major promise that's been made uh, by the by the ruling party. Two billion trees, twenty fifty. We have a plan for doing something that will take place uh, in its entirety by twenty fifty, or they'll develop that plan. Um, they're really good at studies and developing plans. This uh, this mm-hmm. <laughs> plans that never never get actualized. Uh, and, and enticing some sort of, uh, you know, fucking environmental capitalism, which I'm sure just equals capitalism altogether. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I'm sure whatever promise that was, was like, lower the taxes for everything, you know, for all the businesses coming. The, the, the point that I'm making is, uh, God, God, I mean, we've made this, this point on so many different issues, uh, over the last few months, but where the fuck are decision makers where the fuck are are the policymakers on these major issues facing us at this time this is absolutely fucking unacceptable absolutely fucking unacceptable i i think we have to pose the question in a different way where is the opposition because the liberals are incapable of doing the right thing. We said that off the top of the show. We've said this several times throughout the show. We say this every single show. The liberals are incapable of doing the right thing. And so you, like, in a, in a dem- democratic structure, there are opponents, there are official opposition, there are oppositional voices, oppositional organizations. Where is the opposition, like, chaining themselves to i don't know justin trudeau's current residence and being like we're not leaving until you fucking do something like we had last year before the pandemic really amazing climate action come up from young people and it was action that was you know finally intersectional and talked about about environmental racism and lots of young leaders, uh, direct action and civil disobedience, really, really, really great stuff. And, you know, obviously the pandemic has changed everything. So I, 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 I don't say that this happened last year and it's not happening now. And therefore, where are they? I think that that's not, that's not what I'm saying. That's not how we should look at this. But aside from those activists who have been, you know, clear on their, 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 um, in their actions to stop, traffic stop business stop rail like whatever stop ferries uh it can't just be them it can't just be them and so i mean where is the ndp where is the labor movement where are municipalities where are provincial governments like it doesn't seem like there's a single fucking decision maker in this in this country with with even a little bit of power doing anything about this stuff and that, I think, honestly, scares me way more than the fact that Justin Trudeau sucks. Because, I mean, he fucking can't not suck. 
<laughs> I mean, it makes sense that that scares you more because quite frankly, anything good that we have in society is because someone has um, uh, raised like a really critical voice, whether that's people on the ground or uh, taken up by opposition parties as well. It's almost always led uh, by people, uh, by grassroots movements, and but also taken up by, by opposition parties. So it's, it is, it is really fucking dire that there is no effective oppositional voice to the liberals doing a whole lot of nothing in a whole bunch of areas. It's just, it's really fucking, it's just really, really fucking frustrating. I've been like really, I mean, we've talked about this offline about how uh, both perplexed and angry and just like, I'm just so furious at the uh, the refusal of uh, parties that are on the left to take up the mantle of defunding the police when it's so popular um, throughout uh, throughout uh, Canadian society right now. And I feel the same way about about climate change. Like who who? Like, gosh, at some point we're gonna look back, you know, um, years into the future and say these are the people who who were the ones who are really fighting for the world that we have now because we've you know shifted some things and we're all going to be fine or we're going to look back and say man wouldn't it have been great <laughs> wouldn't it have been great if uh, half of us didn't die because uh, some some folks were too afraid uh, to take the hard positions uh, when they needed to take the hard positions and to do the education work on the ground when they needed to do the education work on the ground. It's like, God, yes, uh, the liberals are are uh, responsible for this, but so too is the NDP. And so too, I mean, obviously the conservatives are, but at least they own that shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not sure that the NDP has even come out against LNG yet right against transporting liquefied natural gas and, and and liquefied natural gas is a real problem because a lot of people keep going a lot of right-wing voices keep going to LNG as being part of the climate change solution because it's apparently a clean gas uh, I saw Seamus O'Regan say that this week who's a random I mean he's a Newfoundland MP um who used to be a TV guy so I mean maybe it's not fair to expect anything more from him but the the fact that the NDP has not super clearly been able to come out against pipelines, to come out against LNG, uh, to uh, consistently resist the the policies that are a bit difficult to resist, right? Like we we know that the Alberta NDP made things very difficult for the federal NDP, especially on pipelines because pipelines are important. Blah blah blah. But it's just it's just not acceptable. And, you know, one of the things that um, I think that English Canadians can learn a little bit about um, or can learn a little bit from is how Quebec Solidaire talked about the climate emergency before the pandemic. Now, this week, something happened that was a bit disappointing from Quebec Solidaire, um, but I'll explain it. Last year, QS said that they had something that they were doing a campaign called Ultimatum 2020. Uh, it was started in 2019. And they said, you know, between now and the end of 2020, we have this ultimatum. Either you, the CAC, start imposing uh, better environmental controls and doing all these things. There's like a huge list of, of stuff. Uh, if you don't do that, 
uh, we will start to make parliamentary work impossible. We will uh, we will filibuster. We will jam committees. We will do all these these things, right? And then there were some things that they didn't say publicly because they wanted to, there to be an element of surprise. And I was a little skeptical. I thought, oh, my gosh, this is an interesting tactic. Now, we don't get to know how it was going to work because COVID, of course, changed everything about the rules of engagement with politics and politicians, which is also another discussion to have about the limits about a left wing party, because at some level, when there's a pandemic, you're all just following public health and you don't really know how to challenge a government that's popular, but fucking up anyway. And so this weekend, they they said that they would call off ultimatum 2020 or postpone it or, or whatever because of the of the of the crisis with COVID. COVID. But that's the kind of thing that is like, OK, at least it's thinking outside the box. At least it's like being uh, as serious about this issue as possible. And they were also taking their cues from the climate justice movement, which was a really, really important part of how they're approaching climate policy. And so, you know, I look at the NDP and it's just like, I mean, it's clear that it's a party that doesn't have a cohesive plan, as we have talked about before. And the lack of a cohesive plan means that there is not a repetitive message about every single topic that might come up. And in absence of that repetitive message, there becomes no message. It's it's really hard to be able to push back against liberal rhetoric when your party doesn't have a, a vision, a grander vision for what society is supposed to look like uh, during a pandemic and then after the pandemic. Because if you if you have a vision and you put that forward, then you can always draw from that vision. You can always go back to it and say, no, no, but we want uh, we want uh, uh, rapid high speed trains and we're going to pay for it. And they're going to be between every you know major city here, here, here and here. And you'll be able to get blah, blah, blah. Like, I mean, something. Give us fucking something. And so this has been a real problem with the left because it, you know, you can also think about how this affects the economy. The the economic, the the, the environmental policies that, that, you know, the NDP supports, they certainly support on paper and the MPs will defend when they're called to defend it. It doesn't reach average people because people aren't paying attention to politics. You have to put this stuff out all the time so that it starts to actually get into the minds of journalists and gets into the minds of average Canadians. And in absence of this, like, then we've got Aaron O'Toole, who's like, Labor Day message sounded more fucking worker focused and friendly than the messages coming from the other parties and using words like solidarity and using words like we're going to save the working class. And it's just like... What a missed opportunity because the climate crisis and the economic crisis, they go together, they go hand in hand. And we just have had nothing from the NDP to give us a nice plan. What's the plan? What's the plan and how are you engaging with folks on the ground? I just like I can't. Um, what is it, Nora? <laughs> what is it about people who have power who uh, who often say that they don't or claim that they that they there's nothing that they can do. <laughs> it just makes me so like Catherine McKenna, <laughs> right? Like Catherine Rick McKenna, or the, like the idea that uh, you know they can go to rallies and be like, "We agree," and it's like, "No, you have power." But I'm not even talking about people who are, are in the Liberal Party. I'm also talking about people who are in the NDP who may uh, have this idea that oh, we're we're not the elected party. We're not the ruling party, so we have no power. But you have so much power. Like you have a national platform for which you could be doing so many, so much types of organizing. Like I, 
you know, we should be seeing um, ads or educational placements or whatever all over social media from you guys uh, critiquing uh, the, the ruling party on how they're dealing with things. I'm just like, look, if I can, um, with uh, BLM and the thousand other projects that I'm working on, you know, continually put out videos and like, you know, fucking make a podcast with Nora, and like all of this other stuff that has an impact on society. Well, you with a party apparatus, God, you should be able to fucking at least put out, I don't know, one fucking commercial that gets played a lot on YouTube that talks about anything. You know, you folks have a, you have a platform, you have a lot of power you need creativity and you need the, I don't know, someone who's going to do, do it, like just put it out there. Like it can't, your entire strategy can't be about what happens in parliament. That is a losing strategy. Nobody cares. (laughs) It's like, you know, I obviously some people care and being a bit glib, but for those of us who are on the ground uh, living regular lives, Um, most people aren't going to like go through, watch a question period, read up on the Hansard, be like, yeah, what so-and-so said was great. Um, you have to, to step down from, uh, the, the world of Ottawa and, and reach people directly. And I'm not, you know, like, it's not the case that all NDP, uh, fucking, uh, MPs are, are acting that way. But I do think that it's very clear that there's no overarching strategy um, to, to, to really have some sort of impact on the ground. And we desperately, desperately need it. Like, God, I, you know, it, it, 2020 is not the year to be silent on anything. No. Least of all, climate change. No. And, and so here's like some free advice for the NDP. And then maybe we can talk about labor because I got a lot of free advice for them, too. So the West Coast is burning. The Democrats have put out their kind of like climate change conversation talking points and how they're going to deal with it in the election. It's pretty uninspiring. It's a lot of long term vision and all this kind of bullshit that we don't have time for. Um, What is needed now, especially in a time where there's nothing happening in Ottawa, it's got a lot of journalists that can't cover the House of Commons, is the NDP should be putting forward a extremely radical environmental justice plan. Now is the time. Everybody is freaking out. This is what I don't understand. It's like, yeah, do you occupy only those echelons of Ottawa? Who are you ta- Who are you listening to? Who's on your Facebook feed? Because I don't know about everyone else, but my Facebook feed is pretty much like doom. We're doomed. We're doomed. We're doomed. We're doomed. Oh my God, we're, we're doomed. We're doomed. Like people want this so bad. And you know what? Your job as the NDP is to not worry about getting elected. It's to look at those radical, progressive plans that social movements are putting forward and saying, okay, Ottawa, big announcement, really big announcement. Tomorrow, the NDP is unveiling our absolute must-haves from the federal government based on, you know, here's uh, whatever, whatever, fucking come up with like your plan, right? on the environment and and play in the background burning forest fires because we all see these images and be like we cannot have this in 
British Columbia. We cannot have this in Alberta. We cannot have this in Quebec. Like we cannot have these fires. So what is causing them? Well, then you bring out some progressive experts and you present your plan. And then Ottawa's like, oh my God, the NDP has this audacious plan. And then all of the journalists will be like, it's impossible. They can't do it. Except everybody's already freaking out and they are there and they are ready for it. And they're ready to actually take your plan and say, that is why I voted for Singh. That is why I voted for the NDP. This is exactly what I want to fucking see right? That you can do. You could do that next week. You could do this next week. You could do this next Monday. Why are you, why not? It's not not a bad idea. (laughs) Not a bad idea. I mean, it's a good it's a good project for the week <laughs> i'm just making <laughs> some hard. stuff up here right like we the journalists cannot write about stuff that doesn't happen and 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 you you sandy you say like people have power they absolutely have power they also have badges that get them into the house of commons <laughs> average people don't have that right they have phone numbers of journalists average people exactly. don't have that i don't I, the next fucking ndp that tells me that the, the journalists ignore them fu- you don't fucking let them ignore you if they're ignoring you, like, fuck, th- this is not the time to be like, oh, they're ignoring us. We know they ignore you. Figure it out. Give them something audacious for them to then pan. Give the Globe and Mail two weeks of content to be like, the radical environmental plan of the NDP is, is impossible, while they also have a page that touches the same page featuring the entire United States on fire. Now is that time. Now is that time. Yeah, and I... <laughs> Gosh, the media ignores everybody, you guys. <laughs> like, like any anyone anyone who's doing radical social justice work, the default from the media is to ignore you. Okay, so please do not complain about that ever, because the the movements on the ground. Like, I mean, think about uh, the folks who are doing fourteen ninety two land back lane right now. Like, fuck. They are making the media pay attention and it's like, it's hard. It's like fucking pulling teeth, but they're getting news because they are forcing the media to pay attention. All of anything that Black Lives Matter has ever done has taken forever to get the media to pay attention. It doesn't just happen. It's because we fucking do work to be uh, unignorable. NDP, like you are a major party. Be unignorable on the issue of climate change. It is literally the biggest issue that is affecting humanity right now in all sorts of different ways. God, like, yes, it is front page news. So if you have a plan, a a plan, more than a plan, like if you are doing if you are working on these things, if you're taking action on these things, if you are are being bold if you are coming up with something that will work, that people will support, 100% it will get covered. You just have to be creative and bold about it, just like any other grassroots movement does. And you have a leg up, a benefit. And so that leaves labor. I mean... And that leaves labor for the close. When are you guys going on strike over this stuff? Let me say this. You know, like, I had a bit of a rant on um, on our Instagram uh, this week because I was so frustrated at uh, the way that, again, sometimes people in power or people who have power will, will resist the idea that they have it. Like, you know, there was a scholar strike this week and... Um, not only at my school, but at several other schools, there were people 
professors, students, professors who have tenure, who are like, ah, you know, like if we, if I do this, we're going to, we're going to be behind. And actually I, I teach on social justice issues. So it's like actually overall good for black people. So like, it's probably like better for me to teach uh, rather than to, you know, take this, you know, this collective action. And, you know, I, I mean, what can I really do if I'm not teaching? Like, what does that really do? It's just fucking mind boggling. It's like, you have tenure, use it to change the world. Like why else have it? You know what I mean? Like whether that's in the way that you produce knowledge, but also in the way that you use the labor that you provide to the institution to be what it is. And same thing with, you, you know, like traditional working class labor, like fuck our working people are being fucked by this, right? Like they're being told, like nobody has like some sort of weird allegiance to the oil industry uh, because, you know, oil is God or whatever. It's because people are getting paid by oil. People work, uh, rely on the, the oil industry uh, for their work. But if there was another industry available that they were relying on, I'm sure that they would fucking <laughs> have a lot to say about that industry closing too. So why not create um, another type of industry and labor can be a big part of demanding this because guess what working in oil forever that is a losing motherfucking strategy eventually those jobs will be lost one way or another <laughs> I'm hoping <laughs> it's the way in which we plan it and labor should be part of planning it gosh could you imagine if there was some sort of like massive labor plan to to create a worker owned renewable energy um uh fucking industry like worker owned like we could they could do that oh yeah they could start working on that and and like fucking like just completely turn on its head uh, the idea that we have to wait for industry to get these jobs and just the only the only um job for for labor in terms of organizing is just um organizing union shops like fuck labor just create something owned by the workers if the government is refusing to do it and industry is behind do it <laughs> not to mention it would, it would like undercut the only argument that any right-wing piece of shit has in favor of the oil industry <laughs> like mm -hmm. you have the power and you could make the power and that power could be fueled not by oil